There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Hey everyone, it's Paige Harlock, Manager of Youth Programming and Partnerships at Canada's LGBT Plus Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Hey, don't forget me, Rick Spence. Together, Paige and I will be your co-hosts in celebration of Pride Month. Each week, we will speak with LGBT Plus entrepreneurs to tell their stories, celebrate their contributions, and honor their experiences and accomplishments. A huge thank you to CGLCC for partnering with us this month. To learn more about their membership programming and events, go to cglcc.ca. Make sure to tune in every Tuesday, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at startupcan.ca. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Andrew Gerza. Andrew is an award-winning disability awareness consultant and co-founder and chief disability officer of Bumpin, a sex toy company for and by people with disabilities. Andrew uses they, he pronouns and identifies proudly as disabled. His work has been featured on the CBC, the BBC, Daily Extra, Gay Times UK, Huffington Post, The Advocate, Everyday Feminism, Mashable, Out.com, and several anthologies. In 2017, he was the subject of a national film board documentary, Picture This, chronicling his adventures trying to make sex and disability part of the public discourse. I saw this film, I streamed it live the other day and I give it three stars. As if that isn't enough, Andrew is the host of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories, which won a Canadian podcast award and a Queerties Award in 2021. He was also chosen as an honoree at the 2020 Webby Awards. You can find out more about Andrew by visiting www.andrewgerza.com. On behalf of Paige and me, Andrew, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Hello, and thank you for having me on the Startup Canada podcast. I'm happy to be here. It's lovely to have you here, Andrew. It's, uh, it's such a pleasure to get to be able to talk to you. Um, I also watched your uh, documentary the other day and it was wonderful. So um, I, I would recommend it to anybody who is interested in watching it to, to go out there and watch it. It's, it's great. Thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> and to just get us started here, I really just wanted to ask you, what are some of the top pieces of advice you want entrepreneurs to take away from this conversation right off the bat? Um, wow, we started. <laughs> We started with a with a nice chunky question there. I I think what I would want entrepreneurs to take away from this conversation is just try, just do it. And it might not go the way you planned. It might not go how you think. You might think your idea is not going to go anywhere, but just try. And I, especially if you are a marginalized person, like a disabled person or a disabled person of color or a disabled person with different identities. Also, put your thing out there in the world and, and just make it, even if it doesn't go huge and you have fun and it makes you happy, do it. That's great advice. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, you did this. You had the ideas for um, your sex toy venture um, and you've been doing podcasts. Is there anything that kind of made you nervous about putting that stuff out there and just kind of, kind of just doing it? Yeah, I mean, I'm always nervous. I'm an anxious person. So like, <laughs> I'm, I'm always nervous about putting stuff out there because in our world with the, with, with the way the internet is today, everyone has an opinion on everything you do. And so you have to be really comfortable with people disagreeing with you and disagreeing with your take on stuff. And I get that a lot. And I, like I said, I'm an anxious person. So 
it always makes me nervous, but I know that I'm, I know that I'm, I'm creating change in the world for people. And so I try to remember that even when I am nervous and just do it anyway. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fantastic, Andrew. Thanks. Take us, uh, if you will, on your entrepreneurial journey. How did you get started? What was this aha moment that led you to lean into disability issues? I mean, there was really no aha moment. I had finished school. I had finished my master's of legal studies from Carleton U in Ottawa in 2013. I went there from 2003 to 2013. I did an MA and a, and a BA um, there. And I had finished school and I was looking for a job in the government. I was looking for a job everywhere to try to find work to be stable because I knew that being disabled was expensive and I didn't want to rely on benefits my whole life. I wanted to have money that was mine that I made that it was that I could do stuff with. And so I went to a really high up person in the government and said, I want to, I want to be a disability awareness consultant. I want to do this kind of work. I want to, I want to give talks about my lived experience. And they said to me, oh, that's a nice hobby, but you should get a real job. Ooh. And so I was kind of like, to be, to be blunt, I was kind of like, fuck you. That's a horrible thing to say to somebody. Yeah. And so, so using, using that kind of anger I had from them telling me that what I wanted to do wasn't a real job, I was like, watch me make it a real job. And so I went on Vistaprint and I made up a card that said my name, that said disability awareness consultant. And I printed those off and had them sent to me. And I started just handing them around and saying, here's what I do, here's who I am. Having no idea what I did, having no idea how I would sell myself. I just said, I, I want to do this as a job. And I started cold emailing because um, I wanted to talk at that point specifically about being queer and being disabled. And I was like, well, that's a story we don't hear about enough. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to start emailing magazines like HuffPo and The Advocate and all these places and saying, I have a story to tell. Can I write some articles for you for free to get my name out there to see if it'll stick? And so one of the magazines I cold called was called Fab Magazine, which was, which was a now defunct queer magazine out of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And they said, wow, your story is really compelling. Do you want to have a photo shoot in the next half an hour? And we'll, put you on, <laughs> we'll put you in the magazine. And I was like, okay, like, wow. So I had, no, I had no idea how to do that. Within 20 minutes, I had a photographer over at my house, like ready to take a photo. And I was like, okay, I don't know how to do this. But they took that photo and they put that in the, on the inside their magazine. And so that's kind of how, from that little exposure, the queer community in, in Toronto at least started to get to know who I was. And then in quick succession after that, I got some emails back from HuffPo and all these places being like, yeah, write us some pitches of articles. And they kept accepting my pieces. And so I got, I was getting exposure that way. Mm-hmm. And then from there, about two or three years in from writing for writing for HuffPo and the advocate in those places, I was like, writing was getting harder for me to type because of my disability. And I, I live with cerebral palsy and I'm a wheelchair user. So it was getting harder for me to type. And I was like, well, what if I just started a podcast? What if I just took these articles that I wrote and turned them into like a 30-minute podcast? And I looked online and I went to, you know, the, to iTunes and all those podcast places and realized there was no podcast talking openly about sex and disability every week. And I was like, well, I can do that. Why don't I just try? And so really my whole career trajectory was I need to make money for myself. I need to support myself as a disabled person. Um, and I, I just kind of did it not knowing anything about the industry and not knowing anything about how to do it properly. I just tried. And really, that's how I got started. About, about five years ago, Andrew, I actually served um, as a writer on a, uh, <clears throat> a provincial committee looking into people with disabilities and how they can be integrated in society and how much business needs them because we need all hands on deck with the talent shortage that we have here and businesses haven't always been friendly or just confident about um, 
hiring people with disabilities and it's such an untapped resource. So have, have, have you actually had clients? I mean, are businesses hiring you to help them? Uh, because frankly, with, the, with your experience and with your sense of humor, they really need your help. And, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping they're taking advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, I have done it with, I, I, do, I do a lot of talks for universities, for schools, for um, community groups. I do a lot of like grassroots stuff, which, and I, but I love working with businesses too. I think that working with them and showing them the power of disability and the importance of that disability perspective is really, really fun. And so that like they do, they do hire me to help them with, with things. I, I've worked with multiple small businesses over the years to make sure that they are doing their best to make their business accessible. And like I haven't worked with big, big companies a lot, but I I'm more I'm more like working with the smaller kind of mom and pop shops, kind of people doing similarly to what I'm doing, just kind of kind of being a freelancer and needing help. I like that because I know what being a freelancer is. That's what I do. Um, and I know how hard it is to make sure you're accessible for everyone all the time. And so if I can come in and provide a different perspective that helps them be accessible, I want to do that for sure. And it's, it's obvious that with what you're doing, you're challenging perceptions and creating new solutions, but it's also what you're doing is a really smart uh, business idea within the disability market representing 13 trillion in annual disposable income, I think. Um, so can you speak a little bit to the profit and accessibility that many are tapping into? Yeah, I mean, there's so much profit in different perspectives. There's so much profit in um, making your business is accessible because all of us are going to become disabled at some point in our lives if we're not dealing with some sort of disability already. So why aren't our workplaces accessible? And so by making it accessible, you open up the market to so many different resources, to so many different ideas that you didn't have before. And so I think we, as a society, are, are missing the mark by not actively hiring disabled people and, and not doing it to tokenize disabled people, but doing it because it will actually be a boon for your business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's value in different per perceptions. There's value in different ideas. So yeah, I agree. Not hiring people because of tokenism, but hiring people because of different lived experiences. I mean, you can hire me to tokenize me, but you better <laughs> you better pay me really well then, because I mean, <laughs> if I'm gonna, and I, I sometimes I make the joke like if, like if you're gonna hire me to to work for you, and you want to tokenize me, I'm gonna have to give you to put a disability tax on my invoice because, like you know, but I think even if they even if they start off hiring you out of a token, like we need a disabled person in this role. My hope is they would learn while having you there, how valuable you are to the company and then keep you on because they've trusted that value. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people often hire me when I go and talk to schools, they hire me at usually around diversity week or like pride week or any week where you can tell they're looking for representation. I get a ton of emails. It's like, hey, can you come do this? And I'll often say yes, because like, sure, you're tokenizing me. But at the same time, I want and need your money. So it's like, sure, I'll be your token disabled person. I don't really, that doesn't scare me to be tokenized a little bit because I use that to my advantage. And, and I think that's fantastic because, I mean, I hate the word token, but everyone, it, it, everyone starts somewhere and every new movement has to start somewhere. And the fact that society has sort of shunned and overlooked uh, people with disabilities in the past, um, you know, that's something we can't afford to do anymore. And it's something we're, that we're realizing, uh, you know, is, is so important to get people into the mainstream and to get those perspectives. And that's something that on this government committee that I was on a few years ago, was really important is, it, is, is how important is their perspective. I was talking to a real estate agent lately and he says he can't sell anything these days except bungalows because no one wants stairs. So who the heck is building all these stories with these multiple, all these buildings with multiple 
five staircases. step staircases yeah. all over the house. So we, we, we need these perspectives and not just from people with disabilities, but from immigrants and from gay people and from so many people who have been marginalized over the years, because I think these people, and we're all, we all belong to some minority group or other, we help spot the weak spots the, the, we, we see what society is overlooking and we get to see what the, what the opportunities are. Yeah. I think also, you know, looking at how the pandemic has changed the workforce, you know, I was on a podcast recently in the U S where we were talking about the impact of the pandemic on disabled people. And there's a stat that says because of long COVID and because of all the disabling things that it brings with it, there will be approximately 1.7 or 1.2 million more disabled people in the world after the pandemic. So my thing is like, why aren't we, why aren't we, we're going to have to make changes in the way we consider work, the way we look at capitalism, the way we look at accessibility and all of this will change our landscape. And my hope is it will change the landscape for the better in how we, we, treat disabled people in the workplace. And I think work from home should be something that never, ever, ever, ever goes away and is, is an option in every workplace from now on because look how accessible it, it, it is for disabled employees to have a job. Disabled employees and single parents and so many other types of people. Yeah, so it's a yeah. shame it took COVID, something like COVID, to help us get smarter, but slowly but surely we're learning our lessons. And Andrew, are you seeing any other, you talked about working from home and those types of changes, are you seeing any other positive changes, um, either for the workforce or otherwise? I mean, unfortunately, now that we in Canada and a lot of places have have mistakenly believed that the pandemic is over, (laughs) I mean, I would say not a lot of positive change. I think, you know, work from home is slowly being phased out, which is problematic. I think that, you know, mask mandates being lifted is problematic. I think the in in access to vaccines is problematic. So I don't see a lot, I don't see a lot of positive change right at this very moment. <laughs> That's fair. I, th- I think the good news though is is that so so many of the big brains who are trying to figure out the future of work are now saying that that uh, the, 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 the mixed approach of having some people work five days a week in the office, other people working three, some people working two, some working one. Um, you know, I think that's going to become much more standard going forward, which enables us to, 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 to maximize the utility of the workforce. So people who want to come in can come in, people who don't want to come in or can't come in or find it difficult to come in, they, they now have so many more options. And I think those are going to continue going forward. I think, that, I think there's been real change. And while the housing market obviously has gone crazy in recent years, the office real estate market is a little bit more worried because we don't need all those empty offices anymore. Yeah, we really don't. I mean, I think, you know, I think we need to look at the the benefits of working from home and the benefits of allowing your workforce to work remotely. It just opens up such avenues for, disa- I'm, I'm going to speak specifically to disabled people about just you know, being able to, the reason I work in freelance is because I require care. So I need somebody to help me in the bathroom. I need somebody to help me have lunch. I need somebody to help me brush my teeth. All the things you take for granted, I need somebody for. And so for me to work from home, even as I'm talking to you right now on this podcast, technically that's work. So like, but to know that if I had to stop right now and use the bathroom, I could get somebody that makes me so much more ready to work because I feel safe. When I worked in an office and I worked in a call center for a telecommunications company in Canada, I worked for them probably about 15 years ago. And I remember going in that office and never being able to get in because of issues around disability transit not showing up, around my bathroom issues, around my wheelchair breaking, stuff that I could not control. And I would, I said to them after, I worked there for five and a half years, and I said to them after about two years, can I work from home? Because they had opened up a work from home 
often for some employees. So I said, can I train on this and work from home? It would be a lot easier for me to fulfill my job, keep my shifts, do all those things. And they said to me, oh no, we need you in the office. And I kept being like, explain to me why you need me in the office. And they kept being like, well, you know, it's really important that you be here. And the irony is when the pandemic hit, I checked in on the office where I used to work and they shut it down and everybody now works from home. And I just kind of chuckled and I was like, gee, it was really hard for you when I asked though, hey? And so <laughs> like, I just find it ironic that we, we can do this. We just choose not to. Right, which is why it's so important that people like you are, are, are being heard, speaking out and being heard. Thank you. Uh, to switch gears a little bit, um, I just kind of want to chat a little bit about your company, Bumpin, which is the company that makes sex toys for folks with disabilities. Um, yeah. Would you be able to walk us through kind of the, the thought behind it, the market research, product development, all those types of stages for this venture? How did you go about proving the demand for this and kind of bringing it to market? Yeah, well... Seeing as I can't walk, I won't be walking you through anything. Um, but <laughs> I can tell you all about it. So my sister and I started the idea for Bumpin back in 2018. She had seen the documentary that you that you folks saw recently. And um, she saw it when it came to Sydney, Australia, where she lives. And she had a light bulb moment that... Because in the film, you know, I talk about how I can't masturbate and how all those things happen mm-hmm. to me. And so she had a light bulb moment um when she saw that and because you know who talks about their masturbatory habits with their sister no one so (laughs) when she realized that I was having this issue she was like oh I didn't realize it and so then I went to visit her a few months later in Australia and we were on the beach and we were talking and she said well haven't you thought about using sex toys and I kind of rolled my eyes and showed her my hands and said sex toys that are on the market today don't work for me. I can't use them. And she said, well, oh, I didn't realize. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize that. And so she, we talked about it some more and she's kind of naively said to me, well, do you want to make one? And I kind of furrowed my brow and was like, do I want to make a sex club with my sister? Weird. (laughs) But then we went away and we went, we put a survey out on Reddit and we asked people, is this something you want? Do you have issues with hand limitations when you're trying to sell pleasure? And we got 92% of the people that we asked of the 100 applicants said, we want a toy like this for us. It's about damn time there's a toy for us. So we were like, oh, there's something in this. That's, it's more than just making a toy for Andrew. It's about changing the, the game around self-pleasure for a whole bunch of people and kind mm-hmm. of uprooting the sex toy industry, we then did some more digging and we took what we found to, to RMIT, which is like the Australian version of MIT. And they do a bunch of like cool design stuff there. And we cold emailed Dr. Judith Glover, who is like the, the only person in the world that's basically doing sex toy research. Um, she has a PhD in sex toy research in Australia. So we, <laughs> we cold emailed her and said, you know, we want to, we want to do this. Can you help us? And she jumped on board and right away and said, I've been waiting for a client like you. We'd love to help you. So we raised about $10,000 off of a GoFundMe just to do, just to do research, which took us about a year just to do the research and to be able to pay for the research with this team of occupational therapists, Judith Glover, physiotherapists, disabled people, um, so we did a bunch of research to figure out which toy would work, which concept of a toy would work. And we had four, four concepts that we started out with. And the one we, we went away with was what is now the joystick, which looks like if a body pillow and a foam roller could hold your favorite sex toy, that's what it would look like. You know, and throughout this process, it's been about a two and a half year process for us to get the toy where it is now. We're mm-hmm. still waiting on prototypes because COVID screwed us right over. All the shops, all the, the manufacturers were in China. So when COVID hit, everything just slowed right down mm-hmm. as it should have done. But that really screwed us over in terms of getting the toy out there. But through over, the, over the years, we've tested with disabled people, 
Um, we've talked to occupational therapists, physiotherapists, design team to really make sure that from the beginning of this idea, there are disabled people in the room, making sure that it's meeting the needs of that community and meeting the needs of not just disabled people, but older people, people with injury, people with arthritis, or people who are not disabled who want to use a really cool toy and use their hands for something else. The goal of the toy is so that if you have limited hand function or hand disabilities, you don't have to worry about small fiddly buttons when you're trying to have an orgasm or trying to have a pleasurable moment with your sex toy. You know, I, I, I'm just listening to you and thinking how liberating this concept is for so many people who've never had a voice or never been allowed or encouraged to, to speak up on their own behalf. Um, so, you know, it, 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 what you're doing is, is, is really meaningful and really exciting. So I got to ask you naturally, flowing out of that, um, what the distribution plan is. Where would one be able to buy these when they're available? Well, you're in luck. They are in pre-order right now. So you can go to getbumpin.com. And what we, and I'll spell it for you, that's www.getbumpin.com. And what we've done is they're open for pre-order right now. So we asked for a $99 non-refundable U.S. deposit right now. Uh, and that that money will go towards making the toy, actually making the toy. So all the dollars that we get from all the from all the pre-orders go into actually manufacturing the toy. And we're only doing a small run right now of 500 because the team is literally me as the chief disability officer, my sister, and one other person that we have working freelance for us that helps us with social media. So that's, we're not a big conglomerate asking for a ton of money. We just want this to, to go. And it's literally the three of us doing it. So when you pre-order a toy, all of the money that you, that you use in the pre-order goes to manufacture. And then our plan was to originally um, ship in May of 2022, but thank you pandemic. So now we're looking at around September of 2022. And we would hope that people would, would pre-order and buy it then. So if you want to, and also if you want to do something for a disabled person and you're not disabled, we have a mechanism on our website where you can donate money for us to give a toy mm -hmm. to a disabled person, give a joystick That's to awesome. a, a disabled person who needs one. So yeah. it's like we're always saying in the non-disabled community, and you see it all the time, people say, oh yeah, I want to do the right thing. I want to, I want to help somebody. This is a really cool way to help somebody and to, to kind of say, I value your sexuality. Let me put some money down so that you can access sexuality just like everybody else does. I love that. I love that. I also love that you just did this all with your sister. I'm trying to imagine myself having these discussions with my sister and I just don't know if I could even do <laughs> even that hurdle is here. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we are very close now and we, in working together, it really changed our relationship and how we interact with each other. And yeah, we have moments where brothers and sisters piss each other off. We, like, who doesn't, right? But I'm really proud that I get to do this with her. And I'm really proud that she wanted to, to do this with me and do something that's never been done before. She mm -hmm. has a background in marketing. She's like a, a marketing whiz. Um, and she's worked with the, one of some of the biggest ad agencies in the world on huge campaigns. And so knowing that she wanted to kind of pivot from that into something so personal and so different than what she's used to, to, to help not just me, but other disabled people access something that everyone takes for granted is something that I will be forever indebted to her for. And I'm really just really proud that, also I'm proud that she's a non-disabled person who just wants to help. And I think we need more people like that in the world willing to put on their thinking caps and find a way to make change like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we all need to be allies. Um, you're sort of working at the intersection of some of the biggest taboos in our society, whether it's uh, being gay, whether we're talking about self-pleasuring, whether we're 
talking about being disabled. These are these are topics that conventional society traditionally, you know, didn't talk about, swept under the rug. So I, I admire your courage, but um, I'm isn't it also like a huge opportunity that uh, not that one that you've taken advantage of, but one that a lot more people could in terms of finding the courage and hopefully some resources, just a few allies that help you speak out and bring attention to these overlooked areas, the areas that have just gone unthought about by commercial interests forever. Yeah, I think a lot of disabled people, I mean, I say it all the time, become your own entrepreneur. It's not easy. It's really hard. You're not going to like you're not going to get it, be a flash out of the pan every time. But I tell them all the time, if you need, if you need money and you want a job and you want something that's easy for you to do, tell your story. We need more, like we need more people who want to tick that diversity box and they need you. So if they want to tick that diversity box for their company, for their school, whatever it is, charge them for it. Be like, great. I'll tell my story. My fee is X amount of dollars. And if you want me to tell my story, that's what you're going to pay. Thanks. <laughs> like, like, and I, like, I have no problem doing that. I, I'm really proud that my story, which is not a unique one, the more and more I do this work, the more and more I meet queer, disabled people who have a very similar story to mine. Um, but I'm like, you, instead of looking for a nine to five that is inaccessible to you, make your own job because it will save you the stress and strife of trying to fit your disabilities into this really narrow box that you shouldn't have to. So I tell disabled people all the time, your story is what is going to help you find a job. I, I, I love your um, creativity in terms of coming up with these really short, pithy statements that could blow people's minds and change their lives. So you said right at the very beginning, um, you said, put you know, put yourself out there, become your own entrepreneur, tell your story. These are incredibly important messages. And, and again, thanks for sharing them on our podcast. It's incredible. Oh, thank you for letting me. And with all of the work that you're doing, I mean, you're really simultaneously prioritizing sales as well as social impact and educating folks. What would you say to other people who are trying to do those same things? In terms of like, what advice would I give them? Yeah, what advice would you give them for people that are trying to kind of put themselves out there in the entrepreneurial world, but also balancing that with the social impact piece? Uh, that's a big question. I would just <laughs> say, like, kind of like what I said before, just put yourself out there and uh, just tell your story and be honest about who you are. Um, I think in our social media world, you know, everything is so curated and everything is so... Um, so like, you know, refined and pretty and all these things. And I don't do that. If you go on my social media, like I talk about my IBS, I talk about bowel stuff. I talk about how I'm feeling around disability. Like I don't sugarcoat anything. I kind of say, here's my deal. If you don't like it, that's fine. But here it is. And so I think we, in, in the sphere of disability or, or entrepreneurship, I think we're forced into these like, pretty little boxes mm -hmm. that make disability look one way you know in, in if we're talking about disability what we see in a lot of entrepreneurship is like oh you have to be either a pity a pitiable sad person that can't find a job and then so somebody will come in and save you and like find you a job or you're this superhero that works so much harder than another than another person and look at you for overcoming the odds and I'm like, well, fuck that. What if, what if you're neither of those archetypes and you're just somewhere in between trying to do a job, mm -hmm. trying to make money, trying to hustle, but also you're dealing with body stuff and you're dealing with attendant care and you're dealing with all these things. And so I think the advice I would give is don't worry so much about your follower account. Don't worry so much about the sales. Don't worry so much. Just do what makes you happy and because you're happy and you're content, eventually 
that will shine through. And uh, you mentioned Instagram. I follow you on Instagram, and I think the things that you post are very witty, but also very true to, to who you are and your experiences. Um, so I really love all the things that you post on there. I uh, someone recently and you posted kind of want to start a whole podcast about gastrointestinal issues called This Shit is Real. And I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> some of the posts that you have on there. So and I'm I'm starting that podcast actually. I just I I said it on, I said it last night and I, I put a call out for people to um, for people to give to send me their stories, and I got like ten emails just last night from the call out that people want to talk about it. So, like, some of the things I do kind of ingest and playfully, and then some of the things I'm like, no, I'm serious. I want to do this. So, um, it's awesome. coming. It's coming. <laughs> That's and, awesome. and and you know, it's a great example of how you know, as, as I said, what you said before about just put yourself out there, tell your story, and you don't know where it's going to take you, and maybe you're maybe the story that's really going to resonate for you isn't your the first story you've got. Maybe it's the second one or the third one when you get yeah. used to, to speaking out and you discover, you know, the, the extent of your voice, the breadth of your voice and, 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 and what, the, what people are actually going to respond to. It, it sounds to me like, like a podcast of that would be highly sponsorable and could go global. Yeah, I mean, you know, with my show disability after dark like it started out as a sex podcast and now it's whatever the hell i want to talk about around disability because <laughs> i was like you know sex and disability is important obviously and we do have episodes that are just about sex but i i you know i i wanted to talk about different things i want to talk about like you know gastrointestinal stuff i want to talk about disability and access i want to talk about all these different things and i don't want to have to create five different podcasts to try to make that a reality. So it's like, why don't I just use my already existing platform and just do that? Also, one of the things that I do with my platform is I've gone to other podcasters and said, hey, do you, are you disabled? And do you want to start a podcast? And can I help you? And people have said, I want to start one. What do I do? And so I use my knowledge to help them tell their story mm -hmm. now why would you do that because it seems to me well the more disability podcasts there are out there doesn't that impact your ability to create a bigger market no because it shouldn't I, I don't think that in disability it should be about competition i think that's silly and i think that's the, i think i can't be the only one telling the story it's not fair i have privilege as a white disabled person and there are disabled people of color who have another story that deserve to be told. And so if I can use my platforms to uplift them and let them do something similar to me, so we all get out of poverty, why wouldn't I do that? I think trying to corner the market and see it as a market race, to me, I five years ago, I would have said, yeah, it's me, it's me, it's only me. Now I'm like, oh, I don't care about that. I want, I want everybody to have a piece they deserve a piece just like I do. So why don't I help them get there? Yeah, no, that's, that's beautiful. And, and uh, I'm, I, I think that's a wonderful journey to, to be on, to have been on, uh, and to re realize that the more we grow our communities, uh, the stronger we all get. Yeah, exactly. And I just don't think being competitive, and I see a lot of competition on disability Instagram and Twitter, and I'm just like, oh, it's so not worth it. Why are we... Why, why does one person's thing have to be better than the others? Why can't we all be in it together? Absolutely. Um, could you create a syndicate? I mean, I, I don't want to go all strategic planning on us in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> but, but to get a bunch of podcasts together and then to have someone take them to potential sponsors as, as a syndication project. I mean, says, hey, suddenly you reach XXX thousand people. I mean, if somebody wants to help me do that, sure. I'm like, sure, sure. But I, but I also kind of enjoy the really, the grassroots, the one-on-one. -on -one. Like all my sponsors on my show, I don't, I don't advertise widely for sponsors. I will go to people that I trust and people that I know and I'll sit down and have a Zoom with them. Or they'll reach out to me and say, we love what you're doing, can we talk? And instead of just saying, yeah, here's my rates for sponsorship, I'll set up a Zoom and say, what are you all about? How can we work together? How can I support you? 
how can you support me? So I really try to make it really personal so that the, uh, the, the people I know, the people, the people that know about me and support me and sponsor me know that I give a shit about what, who I'm sponsoring and that I take their, take their sponsorship and their support very seriously. So like, I'm less about, yeah, give me all the sponsors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really a personal like choice to have them sponsor my show. And I try to build a relationship with them because I think that's more important than all the sponsors in the world. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. What do you look for when you're meeting with those sponsors? What kind of sponsors are you kind of trying to meet with and work with? Well, my two sponsors right now are sex, are sex toy companies. Come mm-hmm. As You Are, which is like a trans-owned and operated company out of Toronto. Um, and they have been my supporters since day one of my show. Um, and I love them because they are, again, are a small mom and, like, mom and pop business with not a lot of employees. And they're also trans-owned and operated. And I think because they're operated by, by a community members who are, who are normally marginalized, I was like, I want, I would love to support that. And, like, they also want to support me. So we constantly talk about how do we, how do we change up the ad to make it more accessible, all that kind of stuff. And I look for, I just look for what are you doing that's really cool and Mm -hmm. how, and how can I tie it back to disability or not? But if I can tie it back to disability and have the listeners of my show get something out of it that works for them, that's great. So Andrew, five years from now, where would you hope that all of these different ventures have taken you? What would you be spending most of your time doing and, 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 uh, and, and, and what would be your state of mind? I'd probably be doing exactly this, exactly where I am right now. Like I would love for, I would love to get a big contract for like, you know, a couple of million dollars to do something really cool and like fly somewhere and go do something cool. But like, I really enjoy my little piece of the internet that I've carved out for myself, my little piece of activism that I've carved out for myself, um, my little consulting thing. I, I, I like it because it allows me to have all the care that I need and be in a place where I'm comfortable and safe and not have to worry about having my chair broken when I travel, um, um, having, you know, losing money because I couldn't make this appointment. I kind of, I kind of like, I like that it's not super fast paced. It's what I can do when I can do it. And so I don't think in five years I would want to do a a giant, huge thing. I kind of like the freedom of the freelance lifestyle to do what I can when I can. I think that's very smart. The, the, I mean, the, the, the freedom of freelancing is what's attracted me to it over the years. Uh, the ability to do the work that's most meaningful to you. So uh, I, I certainly salute that. Yeah. I mean, it, it is really meaningful. And the fact that I can do this, like I'm recording this from my bedroom right now where we're talking, like I'm recording this in my house. So like there's, I'm not in a big studio there's no team behind me. I have no producers when I do my show. Like it's me, myself, and I deciding the content that I put out and how it's produced. And there's something really, really freeing about that because I can just do it when I need to and when I want to, and when I'm able to. And I think more disabled people who are in my position should harness their story and go tell it to the world in the way that they're able to, that's accessible for them and that they want to. Andrew, you kind of talked about uh, the new podcast that you were thinking of doing, the, the 10 folks that have reached out that want to do it with you, but is there anything else that you're kind of working on um, other than the, the companies that we've talked about other than Bump In? Is there anything new that's coming up for you? Nothing that I can speak of too widely <laughs> at the moment. There is, there is stuff down the pipeline. Um, I just did a video that came out recently with um, the Try Guys talking about the pandemic and disability. I got to be featured on one of their podcasts, which is something that I'm so proud of and still kind of so shocked by because they have such a big following. And so when they asked me to be a part of it, like I knew one of the, I know, I know Zach a little bit. And so talking with like such a big brand and doing cool stuff like that, like that was pretty awesome. So that just came out and I'm hoping to do more stuff with them in the future. Um, But nothing, nothing super big that I can talk about just yet. (laughs) We'll have to wait a little bit to hear about that then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Well, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Just wondering, sort of as, as we wrap things up here, we've talked a lot about your journey and you, you know, connecting different communities and, and helping them tell their stories and get their voices out. Just wondering how this, how, how all the work that you've been doing and, and this journey, how did that affect you? How have you changed as a, as, as, as a person and an activist through this journey? Well, I think, and I'll just quickly correct you, I wouldn't call myself an activist. I call myself a disability awareness consultant only because I find that activism sometimes can be perceived as really angry. And I, my job is to build a bridge between disabled and non-disabled people. And I think the, one of the ways we do that, at least for me, is to not be angry. And so when people call me an activist, I recoil at that term a little bit because I'm like, oh, I don't want to be mad. I want to sit with you and have a conversation. And I want to talk about the issues together instead of making you think that it's me, this angry disabled guy versus you, this non-disabled person that doesn't know any better. Like, so it's affected me because five years ago, I would have been an angry disabled person fighting the good fight and trying to make my mark and doing all that stuff. And now I've softened to be like, can we all just work together? Can we all just stop fighting and find a way through? Can we all just be like friendly? And so I think the work has really forced me, especially working with my sister, not forced, but it's allowed me to, to look at things from a non-disabled perspective and be like, oh, they just don't have knowledge around that. And so for me to go, instead of being mad, they don't have knowledge. Why don't I give them knowledge? And so using my platforms to provide tips and tools and tricks and all these things to make things more disability accessible than they are right now and doing that through kindness and compassion and listening rather than being like, well, you're just an ableist, so fuck off. Like that's not, and I see that a lot in disability activism online and I just shy away from it because I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to perpetuate this idea that disabled people are angry all the time. I wanted, I want to be like, let's find a way to work together as opposed to me screaming at you that you're not accessible enough. That's a beautiful journey. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for uh, correcting me. Um, I, I hope that uh, we can all learn from your journey and, and, and learn that, that, that power of compassion. Oh, thank you. And I, it was such a pleasure to be here. And I, it was really, really fun. I've got a wrap up question, but just want to know if Paige wants to jump in with anything before we do the very last question. No, no, I just, I think it is, like you said, Rick, I think it's very beautiful to, to sit down um, and chat with folks that have different perspectives and to have that come to the table with kindness, come to the table with compassion and understand that folks have different views and we can work on those, uh, those solutions together. I think that's great. So Andrew, what would you say is the most actionable piece of advice that an entrepreneur could take from your story in our conversation today? What, uh, some bit of advice that they could put into effect in their business immediately. Tell your story and be honest about it. And when, take away all the frills, take away all the curation, take away all that stuff and just honestly sit down and tell your story. Cause when you tell your story, whatever it is that will, people will see that as, an, as, as honest and want to work with you. How do you make sure you get heard by the right people though? You just put it out there and hope that the right people come to you. Like you can't be, or you, you, you know, the other thing you can also do is just email the people that you want to be the right people and be like, can I, can I talk to you? Sometimes you need to be, you can, you can wait for them to come to you or you can just call email them and be like, I don't know if this will work, but like, for instance, when I talked to the try guys before, like I did, before I did work with them, I emailed Zach, the one that I wanted to have on my podcast and just cold emailed and said, I don't know if you'd want to come on my show, but would you? And within 20 minutes, he was like, sure, no problem. Let's do it. I think you just put yourself out there and talk, and, and, but also go after who you want. And they might say no. They might say, well, you know, you're not a good fit, but thank you. But at least you tried. I like the fact that it was a two-part tip. So tell your story. And then once you think you got it right, then reach out. 
to the people that you want to, uh, you know, be proactive, reach it, re reach out to the people that you think can benefit most from hearing your story or might be most interested in, in, in participating. Cause I think that, I, I think that is a two-step uh, process. A lot of people maybe reach out too early and so they're not ready and their audience isn't ready to hear it. I think you really have to find out like what your story is, what's important to you, what do you want to tell? But, and also be aware, I think, when you tell your story of your privilege. Me, for instance, my privilege is I'm white. I am, I'm, well, I identify as a non-binary person. I'm, a, a, I, I'm red as a cis male person. So, um, you know, all of those things are privilege. And remember, sometimes when you tell your story, sometimes it's okay to be quiet. Sometimes it's okay to not be the center of attention or the main character in the story. It's okay to be like, you know what? I have a story, but I'm going to open the pathway for you, other person that never gets, that we never hear from, to tell your story. And I feel like you're doing a lot of that by giving other folks a platform through your podcast and through the other, um, the other actions that you're taking, which I think is truly admirable. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, our guest has been Andrew Gerza, disability awareness consultant with Cripple & Co. I love your ability to brand things. I think Bumpin' is an amazingly bumpin' name. Oh, uh, thank you. Disability After Dark, Cripple & Co. You've got a, 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 a knack for this, so maybe you can do some marketing and consulting on the side. Uh, thank you, Andrew, for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Paige Harlock, for uh, co-hosting, for, 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 for intervening with us this month. Uh, and uh, Andrew, keep telling that story and we'll keep watching and listening and we'll amplify you where we can. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Thank you both so much. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Startup Canada podcast and for celebrating Pride Month with us. The show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles and is made possible with the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. And thank you, Paige, for joining us as co-host this month. We've covered a lot of important ground, and we're so lucky to have you and the CGLCC in our close network of friends and partners. Paige, why don't you tell us one more time about CGLCC's incredible mentorship program for LGBT plus youth aged 18 to 39. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rick. If you are a young LGBT plus entrepreneur with a registered business, CGLCC's Out for Business program can provide you with the support and guidance you need to grow your business. We pair you with mentors and leaders in the LGBT plus community who can offer you experience and expertise through one-on-one -on -one mentoring and workshops. Check it out at www.cglcc.ca under the Youth Entrepreneur tab. Until next time, I'm your co-host, Rick Spence, joined by the talented and passionate Paige Harlock.